you know, my entire life, my dad said two things. Mm -hmm. Always be prepared for things you can't plan for. And as an entrepreneur, don't trip over dollars to pick up pennies. Okay. Didn't make any sense to me until 08 when all of that happened. And then subsequently, when I started to talk in advance about corporate structuring, aha, that's what my dad was trying to say is let's be smart about how we structure things. So I went through the process with that firm, really just like you opened my eyes yeah. to all these things I didn't know that I needed to know. Right, right. And I became real passionate about it with small businesses because I'd been dealing with so many small businesses that just like me probably didn't have a clue. Right. Absolutely. My HVAC guys are really good at installing AC units. My plumbers can change toilets and water heaters all day long. But if from a corporate standpoint, they're vulnerable. So there's three areas. There's legal liability. There's tax liability, financial liability. Most of us were only focusing on the legal liability. And most of us were doing that wrong. Uh. <laughs> and that's when I decided, hey, you know what? I've got to start sharing this because if, if, if everyone's just like me and we're all just trying to figure it out, this is why. In America, there are so many companies dealing with lawsuits because they're just getting their paperwork wrong and not understanding their corporate structure. And that's what started this. Gotcha. Gotcha. You are now listening to the Your First Steps podcast. It's great to talk about million dollar dreams, but where do we start? How do we get there? Listen up. As you hear directly from real estate industry leaders on how they reach success in their fields. And most importantly, what were their first steps? Let's get this party started. Here's your host, Eli the Real Estate Guy. I'm very good, man. Thank you so much for, for having us on. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I know you're uh, you know, living on time, so I'll make sure that we're getting through everything uh, here. So first, um, I met Jason at the um, uh, mastermind that was here in Houston uh, that Otis had with um, you know some other uh, individuals as well. And um, as Jason was giving his presentation, uh, it really opened my eyes to a lot of uh, things that I just didn't know about, which I feel like a lot of people just don't know about. Uh, so. Uh, from there, uh, kind of introduce yourself, let everybody know what you do, and then we'll kind of um, you know run through some other items as well. Yeah, sure. Um, Jason Smith, I'm a corporate executive analyst. I've been in the startup space for roughly 24 years, off and on with having those corporate jobs that we all are trying to leave, or most of us are trying to leave anyway. Um, have uh, built and sold my own online marketing agency. I've had businesses that I've bankrupt and failed at. I've had businesses that I've had success at. I currently own a real estate company here in Las Vegas, as well as some other business ventures. Primarily what I do is I travel the country and I teach corporate structuring, uh, like you'd mentioned, uh, in different cities, mainly to real estate investors, online marketers, and franchise owners. Uh, and I've been doing that full-time for about 15 years. I and mean, I just, I really love this space. And it's, um, you know, I, I kind of got into this haphazardly, you know, having gone through some business turmoil and realizing that I didn't know what I thought I needed to know and started right. seeking out the help to change that. So that's the background. Gotcha. Gotcha. Good deal. So um, now going back into your childhood, because I feel like whenever someone uh, ends up doing something that they're actually passionate about, um, there's usually something that uh, triggered something, whether it's uh, positives or negatives that was in whether their childhood at some point growing up. So uh, what was it like growing up uh, in your household and what was uh, what was that like uh, growing up for you? Yeah, that's a great question. And you're right. I mean, a lot of this, you know, we can always bring back to something we've had in our past. Right. And so I was a military brat. My grandfather served. My father served and I was going to serve, too. But 
growing up, my parents were what we call serial entrepreneurs, right? They had started multiple different things. And, you know, you're talking late seventies, early eighties, there was Amway and um, there was those things where I can't remember the name of it, but my mom would sell home decor in these, you know, multi-level marketing meetings. And, um, and so I kind of had this entrepreneurial spirit from a very young age and watched them succeed and fail for the most part in a lot of different things. And they, by all means, didn't do things right either, right? right. They were, like most of us, just trying to figure it out, create more revenue for the, for the household. Mm-hmm. My dad would work two or three jobs. My mom was always trying to start some new business, okay? Gotcha. And then um, I remember my parents, we'd moved to Utah. They got stationed in, uh, in Utah. And my mom was awarded the cleaning contract for the entire base housing. Oh, nice. So they started a company. And so evenings, yeah, nice. Except for evenings and weekends as a teenager, right? Here I am. I'm cleaning floors, scrubbing floors, doing lawn work, and I'm cleaning. But it was very valuable, I think. And what it instilled upon me was, you know, there is hard work for the things that you want. And we had a pretty good life because of that. Then my dad got stationed in Germany, where I ended up graduating high school, moved back to Florida. And he had started a general contracting business, right? Just, again, trying to create more revenue. And so he's working for a couple investors. And my mother finally got smart and said, hold on a minute. We're making these investors a lot of money. Let's become the investor as well as the general contractor, uh-huh. which, as we know today, not always the ideal situation, right? If we're going to be the investor, let's not swing the hammer, in my opinion. Exactly. <laughs> so I've watched them do some things, right? And so right. my mom's the investor. My dad's a contractor. You can see where some things started to get a little exactly. convoluted. Right. I learned through that process, um, you know, to be an entrepreneur, there are certain things you have to do, which I would argue I probably learned some wrong things, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I got um, injured in the military and separated. This was in 96. And in the military, I was an ammo troop, so I built explosives. A lot of the weapons that you see, even in today's news, right? Um, those were things that I had built and maintained. Nice. I got out of the military on an injury. They throw you into the civilian life. Well, my resume says builds bombs, right? <laughs> Not a whole lot. Right. Here I am uh, trying to scramble around. And so I, I, I had the careers, you know, I, I worked odd jobs. I got into radio for a little while. And when I got into radio, I realized there was a segment of the, the marketplace with the internet that was being missed. You know, radio and TV were trying to figure out how do we monetize the internet thing. So I caught on and I started building my first internet marketing company from there. Gotcha. From that, I started taking some of the money, remembering that my parents were really big into real estate. They had always talked to me about it. So I started getting more into the real estate side of things. Uh, and that kind of just threw me into this where I am today. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Yeah, that's where right. we are on that. Gotcha. Good question. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so with that, uh, it seems like you got the entrepreneurial spirit from your parents, and you just carried that on uh, into your adulthood. So, uh, as uh, you're growing up, you went to the military. You had uh, these, you know, other jobs that you're working on. Um, at what point uh, did you consider? Okay, well, from my experience, I'm noticing that I don't know what I need to know. Uh, what prompted that uh, idea of I need to at least study more uh, of the corporate structure? And then how did that carry on into, you know, working for, uh, with yeah, U.S. Corp? So in 08, we had that recession that some of us may remember. Some of us still feel like we're living in, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a business through that, and it was an online marketing business. And at the time, a lot of my um, clients were all service-based, HVAC, plumbers, roofers, right? Mm-hmm. And when that economy slowed down, they're trying to keep their vans on the road. So advertising is one of those expenses that's just, it's a, it's a luxury at that point, right? Uh-huh. Now, one could argue around that, and I always tried to, but nonetheless, they started pulling back on advertising to keep their guys paid. 
subsequently, that was the year that everything kind of fell apart for that agency. I ended up closing that down. And uh, early 2010, I started it up again. I started a company called imanagedmarketing.com and I built back up a client base. And what I was doing was really helping small businesses manage their online and traditional advertising. You know, if I could go to an HVAC contractor and they'd be spending $30,000 a month, radio, TV, newspaper, phone book, but they don't really know what's monetizing well. I built a system where I could come in and show them, here's where all your, you're spending your money. Here's where the ROI is. Gotcha. Now let's take it to the internet. Let's create an online space. Let's create directories, websites. And I ended up selling that business in 2012 in, a, in what's called a corporate takeover to the second largest ad firm in Salt Lake City. Nice. Um, and, I, and so what happened in 08 is I realized early on, I didn't know what I needed to know from a corporate structure standpoint. So I reached out to some friends of mine that were in the industry. One of my best friends today, Vance Padelford, who also works for our firm, said, you know, Jason, you ought to meet with my guys and really help have them help you understand that corporate structuring is one of the biggest things that you can do wrong and do right. And it spawned a thought that my dad taught me that until that moment, I didn't really understand it. You know, my entire life, my dad said two things. Mm -hmm. Always be prepared for things you can't plan for. And as an entrepreneur, don't trip over dollars to pick up pennies. Okay. Didn't make any sense to me until 08 when all of that happened. And then subsequently, when I started talking to Vance about corporate structuring, aha, that's what my dad was trying to say is let's be smart about how we structure things. So I went through the process with that firm really just like you opened my eyes yeah. to all these things I didn't know that I needed to know. Right, right. And I became real passionate about it with small businesses because I've been dealing with so many small businesses that just like me probably didn't have a clue. Right. Absolutely. My HVAC guys are really good at installing AC units. My plumbers can change toilets and water heaters all day long. But if from a corporate standpoint, they're vulnerable. So there's three areas. There's legal liability, there's tax liability, financial liability. Most of us were only focusing on the legal liability and most of us were doing that wrong. Uh. <laughs> and that's when I decided, hey, you know what? I've got to start sharing this because if, if, if everyone's just like me and we're all just trying to figure it out, this is why in America there are so many companies dealing with lawsuits because they're just getting their paperwork wrong and not understanding their corporate structure. Yeah. And that's what started this. Gotcha, gotcha. So I think it's very interesting, the quote that you said that your uh, dad would say, always be prepared for things that, uh, you can't, uh, what was the exact phrase? Be prepared for things you can't plan for. Things that you can't plan for. Okay, so uh, that's a, a very powerful statement. And I feel like uh, when you first hear that statement, when you were younger, I'm assuming it probably uh, translated as a be paranoid in a way of everything can happen at, at any uh, point in time. But like you're saying, it's better to just structure yourself properly so that you can pivot if something comes about. So what's an example of that within a corporate structure that someone can prepare themselves for things that they just can't plan for? Because things happen. So yeah. how, how can somebody prepare themselves for, for something? Yeah, a couple a couple real quick examples. One on the legal side, you know, it depends on how you structure your company, whether it's an LLC corporation, and then you got to consider where do I set one of those up? You know, there's multiple states to set up an LLC in. And in America, we can set up an LLC in any state that we want to. There's a federal statute that protects us and allows us to operate LLCs in any state, no matter where we live. And that's important to know because to your point, when things happen, for instance, the online space right now is a great example. 
There's major legislation on content control, which changes the way people are allowed to market to their audiences, right? Mm -hmm. Well, when the government changes laws, they don't send you an IMMO, okay? <laughs> and what happens if all of a sudden I'm violating privacy laws and there's a class action lawsuit? Well, depending on how my LLC is structured and what state it's in, if my paperwork is incorrect, a lot of states, it's very easy to break down the LLC and come after the business owner. Gotcha. And to be clear, in America, there's no money in suing a small business. The money is in suing the small business owner. And that's why piercing that corporate veil is the most heavily litigated issue. So one of the ways you can be prepared is to understand the state that you set up in and understand those laws. I like the Nevada LLC approach because it has, it has the strongest corporate veil protection so that in that scenario I just gave you, if there is a class action lawsuit against online marketers, and I happen to be one of those, if that were the case, I've got a corporate structure in place that I can pivot. They can sue the company all they want to, but me personally, I'm shielded from that because I have things set up gotcha. correctly. So uh, for the people that's listening, when, they're, uh, when you hear the term corporate veil, uh, explain what corporate veil is and piercing the corporate veil. Uh, what, what does that mean uh, for the people that's listening? So the corporate veil is what separates you from the company. That's the legal term. I always tell people, picture and imagine the Great Wall of China. This visually helps us understand what it's supposed to represent. It feels very strong and fortified when we say it out loud, right? Mm -hmm. But again, it's the job of the business owner to understand those laws. When you set up an LLC on your own, which we don't recommend, but we understand why people do it. The state has one job. That's to recognize there's a new company and that's it. They're not going to send you a book on law. They're not going to send you a manual on jurisdiction, right? right? And in most states, if you're missing things in your corporate documents, it's very easy. I'll give you an example. Your Honor, Eli set up the LLC to protect himself from any liability with good intentions. We subpoenaed corporate documents. What we found is he's commingling funds with a personal bank account. He hasn't had an annual meeting. There's no capital contribution listed in the resolutions. The industry class does not match the operating agreement. No ownership certificate, missing signatures, et cetera, et cetera. And in a lot of states, that's called an alter ego claim and will allow them to pierce the corporate veil. So what I'm really driving at is compliance. No matter what state you set up in, you should understand what those state laws are and be compliant. So I come back to the Nevada piece because in Nevada, it's a statutory state and all the laws are black and white. The only real way for someone to pierce the corporate veil of a Nevada LLC is technically they have to prove you committed intentional fraud. Gotcha. Right? Gotcha. Outside of that, it's very hard to pierce the corporate veil. And that's why you have a Nevada is the number one state for small business. And I'm not trying to hear to, to sell you Nevada, but uh -huh. understand why I recommend Nevada over most states. Gotcha. And so, uh, What's another state that has similar benefits or would you say, uh, I know you're saying Nevada is number one. Uh, I hear a lot of people talk about uh, setting up in uh, Delaware or, or some uh, some other states. Uh, but what's the, the true, uh, well, what are some other benefits uh, besides that? Because I understand it's harder to pierce, uh, pierce the uh, corporate veil if you're in Nevada. But why is that? What, what are some laws that are set in place that make it more difficult in that state? So let's unpack that question. And the first, let's talk about other states. Mm -hmm. So Delaware, everybody talks about Delaware. If you look at your credit card statements, they all come from Delaware, right? Microsoft is headquartered in Washington. They have a Delaware corporation, GM, Walmart. These are all publicly traded companies. Delaware has what's called a chancery court. It's specific to publicly traded company and those laws. Delaware started writing laws back when, you know, um, public uh, companies first started going public, right? And so 
they've created a situation and an environment for these big companies to be in, but their laws for small business owners aren't as advantageous. And what Nevada realized, they're never going to convince big businesses to leave Delaware. So what they decided to do was create an environment for small business owners. And at the time, 70, about 70 years ago, you had to realize you had mobsters and governors working together, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want people to know they're working together. So they create all these laws and environment that shows anonymity and protects you no matter really what you're doing. Gotcha. To give an example for contrast, in uh, most states, um, there are what's called reverse piercing statutes where you and I meet at a bar, we get into an argument, you knock me out, I decide to sue you, I find out you want a business, I'm going to reverse pierce and chase the business as well as you personally, mm. right? Insufficient capitalization rules. How much money did you deposit in the business bank account when it was born? Was it enough to sustain debts and liabilities? Well, there's no matrix, there's no formula that shows us. It's all based on case law. They go back and look at cases similar to yours within the industry. And then they tell you, we feel like it should have been this amount. Okay. So if I subpoena um, bank records and say, your honor, he only deposited a hundred dollars in the business when it was born. This is why he's not able to pay his debts three years later. It was undercapitalized from inception. Gotcha. In Nevada, there are no reverse piercing by statute, no insufficient capitalization and no alter ego claims. So wow. they can't use an alter ego, which is a blanket, in my opinion, of how they capture people in, in most states. Goodness. Um, Wyoming is another state that's come online the last six years. Uh, they've mimicked a lot of the Nevada law. Mm -hmm. um, we like Wyoming. We're, we're definitely looking at it hard. But what, we, what we're really big on is making sure that there's enough judicial precedents to show they're going to uphold those laws. Gotcha. Nevada's a proven system right now. Wyoming is still in their infancy. And so I don't like putting my clients into Wyoming yet because I don't want to turn you guys into guinea pigs, right? Gotcha, so gotcha. I'll always come back to Nevada. Gotcha. So because they're uh, because Wyoming is new, uh, there are enough uh, instances or examples of showing the protection that would be there, even though their laws written a certain way, basically. Yeah, just hasn't been enough cases, you know, come across the, the court system yet, which is a good thing. Right. I mean, right. not a lot of people are being good. It sounds like in that scenario. But gotcha. um, yeah, we always default back to Nevada for that. And gotcha. yeah. Okay. So Go for the uh, for U.S. Uh, the U.S. corporate uh, solution. So. Uh, how did this company uh, come about uh, and what, uh, you know, what, what are some of the services that they provide? Yeah, so our founder, Tom Nagar, a genius guy, in my opinion, um, and I don't mean that to be biased. Him and I have been friends for, gosh, probably six or seven years. I met him at another firm uh, that we were both working at. He had always had aspirations to start his own um, corporate structuring firm. So he did that probably about 13 years ago, even though he was moonlighting at other companies for consulting. Um, and then, uh, I decided to come on board with him and really just help grow this thing. And that's how we kind of got started. Um, the first iteration of us corporate solutions. I mean, the website was terrible, just like all of us, you know, look, when we start a new business, we're just trying to figure it out. Right. It's and we've grown and, and now we're a full service, uh, startup firm. Um, again, been in business 13 years and we do things like LLCs, corporations, nonprofits, estate planning, trademarks, tax and accounting, self-directed retirement accounts, um, buy sell partnership agreements. I'm sure I'm leaving some things out, mm -hmm. but the idea is to not only help people start a business, but also protect wealth. And, and the best way Eli can answer this is this. When we start a business, sometimes we'll talk to our sphere of influence, right? And we have questions. Well, imagine you take five questions to a CPA. You're going to get five solid answers about tax liability. Mm -hmm. Take those same five questions and go talk to an attorney. You're going to get five different answers based on legal liability, right? Right. Talk to a financial planner, five different answers. The idea is how do we bridge that gap, right? 
And that's where guys like myself and Tom and our firm come into place because we can bridge that gap and look at things holistically and say, okay, let's talk about the tax liability of your real estate business. Let's talk about the legal liability because there's multiple sides here. And then what's that financial separation, that financial liability? How do we accommodate that so that if something does happen, we could bankrupt the company and have it not affect us personally? Gotcha. That idea. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, and that, that's, that's extremely powerful. Uh, just from, like you're saying, uh, you go to these different individuals and you get different answers. And there's times to where, say, if you were to get financial advice from a, a financial planner versus a, a tax professional, they'll, a tax person will tell you as far as the legalities of staying within this and making sure you're paying your taxes and stay within the structure. Whereas a, a planner is a, well, how do I keep you in these different instruments? And how do I, you know, maximize what you get? Uh, maybe, you know, get additional referrals or maybe, you know, go on that route. So I definitely understand that part. So uh, moving on to real estate, when you're talking about, um, you know, trust and family trust and all that, what's the what's the benefit of setting up these trusts? Uh, and what are the different types of trusts um, uh, that's out there? What, what are the benefits of them? Yeah. So with regards to real estate, I mean, there's a lot of different trusts. And that's a whole nother hour topic we can right, get into. Right. But- Victor Real Estate, there's really um, two functions that I use. One is a real estate privacy trust or a land trust. And the other is your revocable living trust or your personal estate plan. Okay, so from a real estate standpoint, let me address the family estate plan piece first. Everyone should have a family estate, regardless of your industry, regardless of what you're doing. Think about this. Uh, People, I mean, you saw this in the room. People ask me all the time, what's a will? What's a trust? Which one's better? Which one do I need? The answer is both because they handle different things. Right now, if you don't have anything in place and you pass away, sadly, everything's going to probate. And if you have kids, they could end up in state custody. Now, I'm not here to fear monger. That could last maybe a day, right? Maybe a week. It depends on when your family shows up. So that's when people say, well, Jason, I have a will. And a will is a directive, medical directive, healthcare directive, guardianship of children when applicable, the finances, the morbid things. I want to be cremated. Who can pull the plug? Okay. But a will is not a contract and is still subject to probate. And probate is a court proceeding where they invite family, they invite your creditors, the IRS, the state. Everything gets frozen. So personal homes, um, savings accounts, checking accounts, businesses. Nobody can do anything until they've gone into court with a probate attorney uh, to settle all of this. Gotcha. And this is where family shows up and says, hey, you know, Eli told me I was getting 20000 when he died. And that might not be true, but I have the right to be heard. Right, right, right. Probate attorney will charge right now nationally anywhere from 10 to 15% of the estate. So. Man. You just left the big bill, right? <laughs> Good. So we don't want to leave a bill. We want to leave a legacy. Right. And so a revocable living trust is a contract that enforces those wills. And basically what it says is these are my assets. This is who it goes to. And you avoid that whole probate process. Gotcha. So everybody's already overdue for it and should have it anyway. There you go. But the second reason I like it is the privacy component. Now, a lot of people will set up a revocable living trust and they love to put their family name on it. The Jason Smith Family Trust. Right there. Sounds very good, but there's no law that says you have to do that. You can name it anything you want to. I'll give you an example. I have five kids. The first four, their names start with the letter D. I created the 4D5 Legacy Trust. Nice. Okay? Nice. All of my personal property is deeded to the 45 Legacy Trust, and my LLCs are all owned by the 45 Legacy Trust. So on paper, I don't own anything, but I'm controlling everything. 
Gotcha. And if I pass away, my heirs, my beneficiaries now take on the assets without having to go through that probate proceeding. So question, when it comes to uh, them, your heirs uh, taking control of uh, or being a beneficiaries of, say, your real estate properties or whatever it is, are there any taxes uh, that are passed along to the people that control the property now or uh, how does that work? So it depends on, on the, the amount of the uh, estate. Okay. So there can be some tax liability. It's called inheritance tax. Depends mostly it's around retirement accounts. And this is where I dive into them individually on a one-on-one consult and really understand what, if we're going to set it up, what's going to be the tax liability going in, what's going to be the tax liability going out. The going outside is hard because we don't know for the most part what that's going to look like at the end of it. And depending on the state that you're in. So those are things that I cover typically in our one-on-one conversations and our consultations. So I'm always looking at the tax and legal side. Gotcha. So I guess uh, to my understanding, I thought it was a once, uh, say you're the leader of the the trust, uh, you're the person that controlled everything. Once you pass away, um, I assumed that the new person uh, that is controlling the trust it's not necessarily inheritance. It's just changing hands of who's driving. Uh, but do that's they? So, so, okay. So would there be, so if, if it's a new hand that's driving, there's still taxes uh, in some not cases? On, not on that scenario, but the, the way you position it was general. So on those scenarios, no, they're just inheriting. Um, they're taking over control, right? And they're right. moving forward. But if there's like payments, like distribution payments, like some people have a trust set up where if I die, the company immediately goes for sale and, and there's an asset um, or beneficial payment due, that's gotcha. going to be an inheritance. situation. Okay. And so with that, that's where the will would uh, give the instruction on that um, as far right. as, uh, you know, what happens when these, these things happen. Okay. Right. For instance, I'll get so for like my wife always jokes around and says, you know, gosh, you control everything when you're alive. I can't imagine what your trust looks like. Because I'm <laughs> so I have benchmarks in there that say things like that. Like when I die, my kids do not become trust fund babies. There are certain things that have to happen before a payout assumes. And with my companies, I chose to let my wife take over the company and make those decisions. I, I didn't require it to be sold or to foreclose on assets or to sell assets. I gave her total control over it. I did not manipulate that in any way. And so those, again, based on what you're and So when we sit down and we talk about those things, it's where are we at now? Let's talk about the family dynamic. Because sometimes I have couples that had previous marriages, right? And so we have to accommodate that. What does that look like? Mm. Um, and so these conversations are really important. But at the end of the day, the message I'm trying to send is everyone should have a revocable living trust in these what we call uncertain times, right? Gotcha, gotcha, absolutely. So if someone wants to set up a consultation and, and just really sit down with you and and have an understanding of you know what their situation is and what the possibilities are, um, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Yes, you can go to our website, uscorpsolutions.com, mm-hmm. and you can request a free consultation there. I would encourage them to contact you. Um, and we can always facilitate getting those people over to us and make sure we uh, answer all their questions. Uh-huh. Um, my email address, if people want to email me directly, is just jason at uscorpsolutions.com. Happy right. to schedule a, a free you know, half-hour consultation to understand where you're at right now and what you want to get accomplished. And if there are things we can do to help you, awesome. We would love the opportunity to help you. If not, by, by, at, the, at the minimal, uh-huh. let's at least answer questions that I think all of us probably have had and are looking for a resource to answer. And if I can help anyone just fix something 
to keep them out of trouble, then really that's what I want to accomplish. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I'll do as well is I'll make sure that it's on the screen uh, and in the description uh, whenever the, the podcast is posted. So I have the email down uh, below and, and, and above I have the website. So there's multiple ways of uh, reaching out to you. Uh, so awesome. um, three books that you would recommend uh, for someone that is interested in corporate structure uh, or just uh, really uh, fi- family dynamics when it comes to wills and things of that nature. So what, what are three books you would recommend? So uh, this is always an interesting one for me because I've learned from attorneys and CPAs and didn't do a whole lot of actual traditional books mm-hmm. on this type of thing. There are some things that I, I always look back on. One, I think everyone should read Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Absolutely. Right? That's a statement. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another book that I really like. Uh, you know, one thing we're doing in business that all of us should recognize and understand is we're always selling. And when you own a business, you're always selling. And part of structuring a business is understanding that to be able to present yourself in a way that gives confidence to your audience. So there's a book that I've always loved. It's called The DNAS Selling Method. So DNAS by Patrick Henry. Um, And that's a really good book that just talks about how to talk to people, how to explain your business elevator pitch, understanding needs, understanding, you know, discovery, understanding how to ascertain pain and provide solutions. Right. So as a business owner, we have to provide solutions. So those are the top two that I like to always go back on. I, you know, I like to follow the Grant Cardones of the world, the Tony Robbins of the world. Um, but, you know, as far as corporate structuring, man, there's just so much conjecture online about it. You know, you gotcha. really want to talk to a corporate attorney or a corporate CPA, um, or you could just start diving into Google University. But again, there's a lot there. On the real estate side, I follow blogs like Bigger Pockets. You know, there's a lot of great information there. Sometimes you kind of have to filter through that on, some people that may not have the experience are just given their personal, which is fine too, but, you know, really try to dive into what that is and what it means to you. But I would seek out professional help when structuring companies, whether it's our firm or someone else's, never set up a new LLC or a corporation on your own. That's gotcha. when the, the legal stuff hits that proverbial fan, if you will. There you go. Gotcha. All right. So on this segment, uh, we talk about, uh, well, this segment is a lightning round. Uh, so I ask you uh, three uh, random questions and you Respond to them the best way that you can. All right. So, oh, no. <laughs> so uh, first question, would you rather be the best singer of all time or the best actor of all time? You know, I think, uh, man, that's a tough one. I think I'd, I'd rather be the best singer of all best time. Best singer. Okay. Okay. Got, can you sing right now? I, I, you know, I've been told I can, but I don't know. That okay. I, uh... gotcha. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> All right, cool. So uh, would you be a little second question? Would you be, uh, rather be able to create fire with your hands or have uh, telekinetic powers? Ooh. Ah, I think both come with both positive and negative attributes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think in today's social construct, I'd want telekinetic powers. Gotcha. Okay. Very nice. All right. Uh, and last one. Uh, would you always want to feel a little cold or constantly feel like somebody's tapping you on the shoulder? That's deep. And the cold you can't get rid of, regardless of how many jackets you put on. It's just you're just yeah. a little it's, it's right at that point to where it's like, ah, it's cold. It's a little uncomfortable. Yeah. I think I'd almost rather be cold. Really? You know, I mentally 
I, well, I can mentally control my state of mind mm. if I'm in my, my that place of solace, right? Mm. I might be a little cold, but I can convince myself that it's not that terrible. But if I'm constantly being antagonized by people, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, lose, I lose control over that, right? Right, right, right. That's a good point. I, I, I was, you, you know, what, what was interesting, I was thinking about that. I'm like, you know what? I hate being cold. So I'm like, maybe if it's like a consistent tapping, then I can just kind of adjust to, if it's this, but it's, if it's like inconsistent tapping, then that's what would kill me. But that cold thing, that the, the mind control, I like that. I, that's actually a good answer. Uh, so that was the lightning round. Uh, next uh, question is, when it comes to uh, someone setting up uh, an entity uh, or a corporate, uh, corporate structure, what would you recommend as their first steps uh, whenever they're doing that? Well, the first step is um, consult with a professional, always. Now, this is assuming that you've already got kind of your business plan in mind and what it is you want to do, what your company is. The first step is talk to a professional because what we want to analyze again is what is the legal liability? What is the tax liability? What is the financial liability? And let's put you in the right vehicle to protect all three of those. Sometimes that's an LLC. Sometimes it could be a corporation, right? And depending on your law, like if you're going to have a lot of employees with employee benefits, you know, we may set up a corporation to accommodate that versus a single member LLC. If it's just you and you, you or you and your spouse, it's an LLC. It's easy to operate. Um, tax wise, again, are we going to have employees? Are we going to have employee benefits? If not, let's just treat it uh, in a very simple manner. So meet with a professional. Gotcha. Gotcha. Love it. And uh, last segment of the show, uh, words of wisdom uh, that you'll give someone uh, whenever they're setting up an entity or just entrepreneurship in general? Yeah. So entrepreneurship in, in general, I think one of the things um, that I've really helped people wrap their heads around is think about it. Like a lot of people are scared to leave that job because it's comfortable. It's consistent. But I always tell people, remember you lived at home until probably about 18, right? Mm -hmm. And you were itching to get out of there and you were going to do whatever it took to get out of that comfortable situation and into the world. Uh, uh -huh. This is no different. you got to have the same tenacity, the same mental fortitude, right? The same emotion that's going to drive you into this. It's uncomfortable to want to leave that comfort of your home or your corporate job. It's right. uncomfortable. It should be uncomfortable. But if you can learn how to embrace that uncomfortableness, that's when that entrepreneurial spirit really, really does take over and then treat it like a job. Okay. It's funny to me how many people I talk to that have a small business that, you know, every day they get up at random times and they'll do a few activities here and just not very structured. Right. Those are the same people that when they had a job, they'd be up an hour early to make sure they clocked in on time for somebody else. Right. Right. Well, you need to clock in for yourself today. There you, know you go. I love it. I love you know, it. Let's get clocked in. Let me go ahead and put that in. clock in for yourself. I like that. For yourself. All right. Awesome. Cool. Well, hey, Jason, thank you so much uh, for coming in uh, to this podcast. Uh, and I, I greatly appreciate everything that you uh, shared with us today. Uh, and I'm looking forward to our uh, consultation tomorrow uh, evening. Uh, and I'll, I'll make sure I you know, uh, touch base with you about that. But man, thank you so much for coming on, man. I, I greatly appreciate you. My pleasure. Happy to do it anytime. I appreciate the opportunity and, and thank you so much for spending so much time with me today. All right. Absolutely. And hang on for a little bit. I'll go ahead and uh, wrap this up. And uh, yeah, so thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Your First Steps podcast. Let us know what you thought about this episode by leaving a review. And don't forget to subscribe.